As Lisa mentioned, we're in this series called Summer in the Psalms. Before we go any further, I have a little confession. Uh, we've been lying to you for the past two weeks because summer started just a couple days ago. So really it was spring in the Psalms for the, like the last two weeks. So Rob was in error. I apologize on behalf of him. We are starting Summer in the Psalms this Sunday, okay? So it's grammatically correct. And as Rob has been talking about, most of the psalms, if not all of them, were meant to be sung. So they were the songs of the day. And for the last two weeks, Rob has charmed us with uh, a spectrum of songs, from everything from Justin Bieber to the Frozen soundtrack. And uh, Rob's a little bit younger than me, and he's not here right now, so I can say this. Um, he doesn't understand and appreciate good music. I'm a little bit older than him. I'm a child of the 80s, and that was the best decade. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like I'm among friends here. The 80s was the best music ever written, and that's fact. That is fact. Um, there were uh, four guys in the 80s that they were like the poets of my day. They were called Motley Crue. You ever uh, saw... Um, Oh, who was that? Larry King, he introduced them as the Motley Crue. There's no the there, but that's okay. Anyway, um, they wrote this song, and I would just like to share a verse with you, and I just want you to let the lyrics soak in, okay? Why are you laughing? I want them to penetrate your heart the same way it did mine as a teenager. So here's verse one of this song. I believe that song was called Ode Dat Dibby Towel. I want to fact check me on that. So today we're going to be looking at another song, another psalm, as it were. And this was written by David, who wrote most of the psalms. And this is a song, um, if you read Psalm 133, if you see it in your Bible, it will say a song of ascents. And so this was a song that was sung by worshipers on their way to worship God. All right, so they would sing this song and repeat this psalm on a way to worship God in the temple. And I just want to pause. I think that's really, really cool because I think that the Israelites understood something, that worship isn't just something that happens in, in a building. It's something that we're doing continually. So I think that's really cool that they were singing before they got to the actual place of worship. Maybe there's some application for us on there. Uh, but Psalm 133 was already been read to us. I'm going to read it again, but I've highlighted a couple things. So there's only four verses in this psalm, and I want you to pay particular attention to the first verse and the last verse, and then there's some stuff in the middle that I'll talk about in a second. So Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Okay, so I'm going to talk about just the, the middle section of that. So David uses two analogies to talk about God's people living together in unity. And he says it's like Aaron's beard being anointed with oil and running down. It's, just, it's kind of a foreign concept to us. It's not something we do a lot 
anointing with oil. Those of you that do like essential oils, maybe you know what I'm talking about. But um, maybe a modern analogy is like maybe if you've ever seen a ship going on its maiden voyage, it's going across the sea, and they'll take a, uh, some champagne and, you know, break a champagne over it, and that's kind of like some good luck charm. It's not the same thing as anointing, but it's, it's kind of like it's symbolizing something. It's saying, okay, may this vessel have safe travel. It's kind of setting it apart. And so anointing with oil in the Bible was doing something like that. It was symbolizing that someone or something was being set apart for God's service. There was something sacred and special about that. And so David talks about Aaron, and Aaron was Moses' brother, and so they were in ministry together, if you will. And Moses anoints him with oil, and Aaron becomes the very first Levitical priest. So it's a symbol of something special, of being sacred. And so David is saying the unity of God's people, the church, as it were, is, is like that. It, it provides this uh, something that's special and sacred. And then he goes on to talk about dew. I drove here really early this morning, and there was like this dew over the highway. It was kind of hard to see, but uh, I'm familiar with dew a lot, because I go hiking a lot in the, in the mountains, and you can be on the top of some mountain, like in the Appalachian Mountains, I'm sorry, the Appalachian Mountains, thank you for correcting me on that, Toby, the Appalachian Mountains, and it hasn't rained for, you know, maybe a month, but everything is just so green and lush, and I think dew, I'm not a meteorologist here, but I think dew provides some of that, and so I think that's part of like what dew is, it's, it's nourishing and it's life-giving, and feeding. And so David is saying that God's people living together in unity is like that, provides that refreshment and nourishment. And then David goes on to say, basically, the last verse in that is that this is the key to life evermore, life everlasting. So I can summarize, I think, by saying that when God's people live together in perfect unity, that's the key to everlasting life. Now, Jesus is going to expand upon this. And I'm just theorizing, but I think he had one psalm in mind when he was saying this uh, later on. Uh, I think he was quoting one, Psalm 133. So that's a little bit of a tease, what we call in the business. Come back to that. Before we go any further, I want to describe two potential Friday nights. Okay, so I'm going to lay out two scenarios, and I want you to think about whatever current season you are in life, what Friday night scenario would be more appealing to you. Okay, so Friday night number one. Uh, it's a night out on the town, starting with dinner reservations at a fancy restaurant at 7.30. After that concludes, you will go to a concert or a club with lots of, you know, banging music and, you know, lights and all that kind of stuff. A couple drinks and maybe home by 2 a.m. Okay, so that's, that's Friday night number one. Friday night number two is you're staying home. You're ordering Grubhub, delivered at 6 p.m. You're watching a Netflix documentary. You have a bowl of popcorn, maybe one glass of red wine, and in bed by 9 p.m. Okay, I know those are extremes, but I want you to think, okay, how many of you would say night number one? That's more like me. Come on, raise your hands. There's not one party animal in here? Come on. You are lying. I know those of you that are in your 20s, come on, raise your hands. All right. The rest of you, right? Scenario number two, that sounds more fun? Yeah, what a bunch of old fogies here. One of my favorite comedians is a guy named Nate Bargatze. I don't know if you know him or not. I love this guy. But he says something kind of similar. He says, in your 20s, if your friends ask you to do something, no questions asked. Yeah, come and get me. You know, you don't care about what you're doing or how late you're staying out, any of that. In your 30s, you begin to ask some questions, right? Is it going to be loud? Where are we going? How long is it going to be? And then you're like, nah, I'm just driving myself. I'll meet you there. 
And then when you hit your 40s, you're just mad that they even asked you in the first place. You know, like, forget it. I'm not going. Going to bed. No thanks. Uh, side note, when it comes to, like, resting and sleeping, I have been a sleep pro for, like, about the last five years or so. I go to bed every night at 9 p.m. And ever since I've been doing this in my late 40s and early 50s, I'm like, why did I not do this sooner? I've got so much more mental clarity. I've got more energy. Uh, I'm just in a better mood, less crabby, um, better metabolism. I could just go down a list of all the benefits. I'm like, why did I not do that sooner? And I'll tell you this because that might be the only thing that you need to hear in church today is going to bed early. It will transform your life. It might be the best thing you need to hear today. By the way, how many of you guys like sleeping in? Show of hands. You know, Saturday morning, like, you know, the alarm doesn't have to go off. You don't have to go anywhere. Got a little secret for you, all right? Going to bed early is the same thing as sleeping in. You can do it every single day. Think about it. Simple mathematics. Okay, as much as I value sleep and I value rest, too much of it, not a good thing. And I think a similar thing can happen to us in our faith. The, the older we get, the longer that we've been in Christ, is that we get comfy and we get tired, we get apathetic, scared, timid. And that's not God's design for me as a Christ follower. That's not God's design for you. It's not God's design for, for all of us. It's not God's design for this church and Velocity Church. Because a lot of times when we think of church, we think of like what we do here on Sunday mornings, right? It's like it's a crowd. But the crowd is not a church. Uh, a gathering is not a church. And I will even go so far to say Velocity Church, even though it's in our name, Velocity Church is not the church. And so I summarize it this way. The church gathers and then it scatters. All right? So the church is designed to gather like we do for an hour or a week or longer. And we gather, but it's to the point of not just to gather, it's to scatter, scatter off in the world. Now, in the book of Acts, where we see the formation of the church, there's no reason it should have taken off. There's no reason why thousands of years later we're still uh, being the body of Christ. We're still doing, doing church. There's no reason for it. Um, there would be if there was someone at the helm like, I don't know, Mark. Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, some, some you know, project manager, some high-powered kind of individual that just, you know, plotted out on how to make the church successful. Instead, it's started by this ragtag group of disciples who were scared, who were timid, who were uh, lowly in their faith until they interacted with this risen Christ, and the church blossomed from there. But there's no explanation. There's no natural explanation of why the church begin to flourish. And the church today, even in spite of just untold persecution and threats of death, is, is flourishing around the world. Now, when you think of church, or I'm just going to say our church body, let's just use Velocity as, as an example. Um, if the Holy Spirit isn't flowing in this place, in and through the hearts of the people that call themselves believer, you know what this is? This is just a glorified TED Talk, pretty mediocre TED Talk, I'll say. And it's like some Christian karaoke along with that, you know? That's, that's the extent of what a church is without God's Spirit moving in through and out uh, the people's lives. And I can't think of anything more cheesy than that. I don't think anything 
God is not impressed by a TED Talk and Christian karaoke. Uh, and I, don't, I know the world who is lost isn't impressed by that as well. But you know, a better question to ask, you know, because I, re- I can refer you to a different church, you know, because a lot of times we treat the, treat the church like a, like a store, like we're the consumer. And I know that it has to align with us and we have to feel comfortable. I, I get all that. But a lot of times we, we approach church like it's a store and we're the consumer. Like, uh, I can refer you to a church that is better speaking than me. I can refer you to a church that has better music than what we do. I can, they have better graphics, uh, you know, better, you know, programs. Uh, maybe you're extroverted and you would like a smaller church so you can, you know, get to know more people. I can show you a smaller church. Maybe you're introverted. I'm like, I, this, I need a big church so I, you know, can hide. Uh, so I can always refer you to that. But, like, the question we should be asking, is God's spirit here? Is God's spirit involved and is he working? Is it, is it tangible you know, not just can you feel it, but is it obvious that it's working in and through the hearts of the people here? So maybe we should be like JFK and ask, you know, not what your church can do for you, ask what you can do for your church. That was like the worst JFK impersonation ever. I did my best. But you know, but like we should be asking like what, you know, not the church, what can do for me? Like what can I do for church? Like if I'm a part of an imperfect church, and by the way, that's all of them, if I'm part of an imperfect church, maybe I should be asking, how can I contribute? How can I help? What can I do where God has given me gifts that I can make this church uh, more aligned with the focus and the mission of Christ? Okay, so I said I was going to tease what Jesus said, what I think he was saying, and he expands upon Psalm 133. And there's this passage in John 17, and every time I read it, I'm, I, it makes me stop because it just sounds so, it's just wild. By the way, let me set this up. This is Jesus' final words. This is his last night on earth. He's in the garden praying, and he has the longest recorded prayer in all of Scripture, or all of the, the Gospels, I should say, and he prays for us. He prays for all the believers. And so he says this in John 17, starting in verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, and as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. He goes on to say, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as as you love me. So Psalm 133 says, it's great when God's people live in unity. It's the key to everlasting life. Jesus says, again, this is the thing that should blow us away. He says, the key to letting the whole world know about Jesus coming, about Jesus's love for them, is how unified the church is. It's a little scary. It's a little, it almost feels irresponsible for God to say, okay, yes, my evangelism strategy is how well the church is unified. Yikes. That is, I, I don't really understand it. I don't know why he would do that. I will say this, though. I do understand the opposite of that. When the church is disunified, when it's feuding, fighting, fussing, when God's people aren't getting along, what a turnoff that is to people who are lost. That is the biggest turnoff, and you can see that no one would ever come to Christ if all they think of is Christians just, right? So I understand the opposite of that, but I don't totally understand the, the positive of that, that God's um, message is delivered through the unity of the church. And I think unity is, is more than just, just getting along. Like, obviously, we don't need to be fighting with each other. 
But I think uni unity and perfect unity is so much deeper than that. And it's, I think it's talking about being on mission with God, uh, having the church be strong, you know, and powerful and lean, and where we are united with Christ in his values and his purpose and his mission. Uh, so I guess that begs the question, well, how do we become more unified in the church? It's obviously very important to Jesus, his dying words, uh, his dying prayer, uh, pretty important stuff. So how? How do we do that? Um, here's a couple things. I think number one is you need to understand your value. Understand your value. Listen to this verse in Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So two things real quickly about that verse. Number one, that God has created you. God has created you. That you're not some cosmic accident. You know, you had no say in when you were born or where you were born or to whom you were born. Like, none of that has anything to do with just an accident, at least as far as the Bible is concerned, that God has, a, has created you. And so I think that's validating for us, that you're not just some, you know, evolutionary creature, that there is a creator behind you, the creation. The second thing about that verse is that God has specific things for you to do. You know, he has prepared works for you in advance for you to do, and they're specific. Uh, I don't know what that is for you, but, man, what, what a joy to find that out if you don't know what that is already, just knowing that I am a created being and that he has works for me to do, and I think that's awesome. So I think that's, you know, when you understand your value, that's part of what being in a unified church is. You're understanding that I play a role and a very important role here. Uh, but number two is that you understand everyone's value. So understand your value, but understand everyone's value. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 says this, that God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God himself is behind it all. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. I love that verse so much. It's this picture of the church where everyone is doing something. Everyone benefits. Everyone gets in on it. Um, we're not a perfect church, but, man, we, we do something that's close to perfect. And we talk about it almost every week. We do this thing called Moments of Hope. And uh, we give and serve meals to the disenfranchised of, of Richmond a couple times, uh, once every two months or so. And it's, it's more than a program. The neat thing about it is, from like a leadership perspective, we see every time we do it, there's more and more people that are joining. So it's kind of become viral in Velocity Church. But more and more people are doing stuff. But not everyone does the same thing. I love it that it's just a great picture of Christ's body at work. We have people that go shopping. We have people that deliver goods to here. We have people that uh, donate money so we can have a chest freezer in the back and we can store food. We have people that assemble food. We have people that serve food. We have people that administer and do administration duties to make this happen. So it's just a great um, tangible uh, example of us all doing something. And that's, I know that's, as, as a leader of this church, or one of the leaders of this church, that's something that we just love and, and strive for. It's like everyone's doing something. You know, not just a, like how most churches are run, where just there's a small group of people that give all the money and do all the work and all that kind of stuff. It, wouldn't it be cool if we had a church where everybody was doing something? You know, every single person, because everyone gets in on it, everyone benefits. Uh, that's how the church should run. Uh, in other words, the church is incomplete without you. We at Velocity Church are incomplete without you. The church at large is incomplete without you. So another way to say it is, is that you are wanted. You are wanted here. You are, you are needed here. And 
You need to come on Sunday mornings. You need to join a small group. You need to get on a team. You need to serve. Whatever God is, is prompting you to do to uh, use whatever gifts he's given you to express his love and service to other people, you should do that. And I believe that specifically this church, this gathering of people as we gather and then scatter, I believe it can change uh, the world. But let's just start with the city. I believe it can change the city of Richmond. I believe that with all my heart. I've been in Richmond now for 20 years, 20 years, and it is so different in these 20 years, um, especially how much it's growing. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there's a lot of, like, apartments and condos and new homes going up, and it's, it's kind of overwhelming. Like, what happened to little Richmond that I moved to 20 years ago? Uh, there are people in U-Hauls right now moving here as we speak or maybe getting ready to move here, and they think they're moving to Richmond to start a new job or maybe they just want to live in a cool city like the River City. Uh, but God is doing that and moving places in people's lives so that they will meet Jesus. And he wants you guys in on that, on the action. You know, and if you don't believe me, just think about your own story of faith. You probably have a story like that, because I certainly do. You have a story where it's like, you know, I thought I was doing this, but God interacted with me. He interrupted my life, and I, it was not because of my awesome planning, or I thought I was doing this, and God was doing that. For my own example, and I won't tell you the long story, but um, when I was 18, I decided to take a vacation, like a trip with my friends. And yeah, we were with a church youth group, but I wasn't going on this trip for any kind of spiritual reasons. You know, it was just to hang out with my friends, go to California. And we went to this camp, and there was this guy named Jim there, and Jim donated his week to, to be with us. So he didn't get paid that I know of. I don't think he did. Donated his time, his vacation time, to be a, a small group cabin leader. And it was one of our morning Bible studies that he was explaining the, the gospel to me and my friends. And it made sense. It was the first time in my life where the pages, the, the, the words off the pages in John 15 were just like leaping into my soul. Uh, changed my life forever. I don't even know Jim's last name, you know, he doesn't even know I exist, you know, but he had such an impact on me. You know why? Because he didn't use his vacation to go to Tahiti, because he didn't use his vacation just like to rest and sit home and, and, uh, and watch TV. He's like, he sacrificed his time and God was at work. He was putting pieces together for me to come and know him. And maybe you have a story like that as well. I've heard that once said the, uh, the church is like manure. Daryl, you'll like this as a gardener. The church is like manure. If you spread out manure, things begin to grow. When you gather together in a pile for too long, it begins to kind of smell bad. So think of the church like manure. It's designed not to just be a pile. You know, we're not supposed to just pile in this nice building, this old converted CVS, right? And that's, that's the extent of our church life. It's supposed to scatter like manure. Rob's away. I can say that we're like poop. See, Jesus came to save you, but he didn't just save you to save you. Jesus saved you to send you. It's great that we're saved. It's great that we know God because of his indwelling life inside of us, but it wasn't just to save us. It's to send us. It's to put us on mission, send us to people that need to hear about him. So how are you going to share the love of God with other people? How are you going to, to do that? And my answer to that is I, I have no earthly idea. I, I don't know. Uh, that's for you and, and God to figure out. Uh, but I do want to leave you with this. I want you to have a sense of boldness with that, just knowing that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and he desires to give you the gifts 
that he's given you and to live his life in and through you so that you can be empowered by him to share love and service with the lost world. One tip, I will say this, that, that's worked for me, is that uh, I pray. And there's nothing magical about praying or this specific prayer, but it goes along these lines that sometimes I pray and I say, God, just give me an opportunity today to, to speak to somebody. Um, give me an opportunity. Give, maybe they could ask me a question. Um, maybe we can have some kind of conversation or you'll set up some kind of event for that to happen. I don't know if God actually does that as much as it just opens my mind to have like a radar open, you know, to at least be like awake to say, hey, I'm probably going to run into people today that, that don't know you. And is there any way that I can be without being, you know, a, a jerk or, you know, forcing the issue? It's like, how can I just have a, a conversation with you? And ever since I prayed that prayer, it's just amazing how many opportunities that either I'm aware of or that God orchestrates or probably a combination of both. So that's a great thing to do. It's a very dangerous prayer, but I implore you to, to do that. So think about your own boldness level. On a scale of like 1 to 10, where, where is your boldness level right now? And I want to say, and I don't want to be mean about this, but if the boldest thing in your life every single week is whether I should come to church or not. I was talking with Deborah here. Everyone give it up for Deborah. She's amazing. She sits in the front row every single week. Right before church started, I, she, she's amazing. She is truly amazing. But she's like, yeah, it takes me a long time to get here. And I know a lot about that. Like, she spends a lot of time prepping and getting herself where she can gather in, in this place. And I'm just thinking, man, if so many of us are like, eh, sleeping in just sounds so much better, you know? Uh, let, let Deborah teach us something about that. Like, no, if, if the boldest step in your faith is like, oh, where I'm going to spend an hour on Sunday, maybe your boldness level needs to be ratcheted up. Now, for me, just to be honest with you, it's, uh, it's been low lately. And you might think, well, that's weird because, you know, you're standing up here with a microphone, right? I'm reading Bible passages and telling you about the love of Christ. It is so easy to do that. You know why? Because I feel like you accept me, Right? And I, I'll probably go out in the lobby after the service, and I'll probably get congratulations, because it happens every week where I'm playing guitar, and people are like, what great music. Mm. You know, I'm like, ooh, that feels good. So it's easy to be a Christian at church. It's so easy, but it's so much harder for me at the gym or uh, with my online friends or with my extended family or at the grocery store. I mean, all these phases in life where I'm not in this, this gathering, it's a lot, a lot tougher. Uh, I, I feel a lot more sheepish. And timid, and so it's my prayer that I will be more bold, that I will feel more empowered by the Holy Spirit to, uh, to have my boldness level go up a notch. I'm not a big fan of zoos. I, I hate them. I'm not an animal rights activist, but I cannot stand zoos. I don't want to make you feel bad if you like went to the zoo this weekend or something like that. But I just see so many like depressed, fat, sick animals. Uh, take a tiger, for instance. Tigers are not meant to live behind gates in glass, in a cage, fed kibble tiger food by zookeepers. <laughs> that is not how a tiger, you know, where people come and just look at a tiger, oh, it's so cute. That's not how a tiger should live. A tiger is meant to live in the wild, where tigers are fierce and bold and strong and lean. And my feeling, and I'm, I'm including myself in this, is that the last three years of this pandemic that we've been through, have kind of domesticated us. We've kind of become like caged tigers. And I think that was a problem before the pandemic. It's, it's gotten only worse. 
And we're meant for so much more. We are meant and created by God to be out in the wild. Instead, we become more fearful than we've ever been, more anxious, more depressed, more tired, and we're slowly just being like lulled to sleep in our faith. How many of you guys like Starbucks? All right. There's more than two hands. Come on. Starbucks is going to make $38 billion this year to try to wake you up. Of course, they're selling like caffeinated ice cream and calling it coffee to try to wake you up, but they are trying to wake you up. We need to be woken up as a church. We need to wake up from the slumber that we're in, knowing that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us that will wake us up. William Temple said, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. Think about that. Velocity Church doesn't exist for us. Velocity Church exists to help people find Jesus and love God. And so that's our role, is helping people find Jesus and love God. It exists for people that are not its members yet. And so think about that as the church. It's just a place where we gather, and that's awesome. I love it when we gather. It's the highlight of my week, but the point of it is not to gather. It's, it's to scatter. So what do you need to do today to take a step of boldness in your faith, to further participate in the unity of the church so that the world will know about the love of Jesus? Uh, so maybe just a couple things. And if the, you know, the shoe fits, wear it. If it doesn't, don't. But um, I just want to talk to the people that are streaming. we got cameras here. Let me talk to this one. Hey, if you're watching at home right now, I want you to know that you are needed. You're needed here. And it might be time for you to come within these walls to get off your couch. Now, again, I'm not making you feel guilty. We provide this live stream for you. It's a great tool for us to, to reach the world and have a kind of a brochure for our church, but, uh, but you're needed here, and you are wanted here, and you have a role to play, and, and we need you. So think about coming back. Now, for you that are here, you don't need to be thinking all high and mighty about yourself. <laughs> uh, maybe you've never joined a small group, or maybe you tried a group one week, and that was it. You know, like, you need to be in a, a small group to further your boldness level, to further participate in what God has for you. Maybe you're in a small group, but you never serve. You don't do any moments of hope. You don't serve in our kids' ministry. I mean, we have so many service opportunities, and it's not just to fill empty slots for religious activity. It's like you're needed, but this is going to help you in your faith journey as well. Uh, so for all of us, we need to be getting out there. We need to be being bold. We need to be agents of hope and love and service to a lost world. That is the mission of this church, to help people find Jesus and love God. Uh, but that's the mission of all of us as Christ followers as well. And just a quick reminder before we close is that um, we, don't, we don't save anybody. It's not our job, so you don't have to get all sweaty palms thinking i got to go witness on a street corner with a, with a bullhorn. Uh, that's God's job. God saves people, but we are the agents of invitation. And so that's our role is to be agents of, of invitation, to extend this invitation that people can come and taste and see that the Lord is good and we can communicate how much God loves them and how much Jesus Christ loves them and how much he wants to transform their lives. Let's pray together. Uh, God, I don't know if an apology is in order, um, but we're, we're sorry that uh, we're often so timid and, and weak and, and sick in our faith. Um, happens to all of us you know, from time to time, but I just pray that by your Holy Spirit, God, that you would empower us, that you would uh, do what you come to do to, to live inside of us so that you can live your life in and through us, and that we would be given opportunities to, to share your love, uh, your message of hope, um, 
what the lost world that so desperately needs to hear. It's, it's, it's the key to everlasting life. And uh, God, we need you. We need you to, to be our strength, to be our power through all that. So help us to rely on you more and more each day and pray that you would be at work in and through us. And we ask that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.